Amen. Well, good morning, 8 o'clock City Light. Yes, so good to be with you guys. Uh, my name's Doug, and I love getting to follow Jesus with you early birds. Um, I don't know where you might be on your Jesus-following journey. Maybe you're just checking out his teachings and seeing is he someone you can trust with your whole life or not. Uh, maybe you've only recently begun following Jesus, or maybe you've been following Jesus for years and years. But wherever, wherever you are on that journey, it strikes me that one day there will be like a climax, a culmination, a, a very surreal moment when all of our days of following Jesus will matter. In that moment, we will see Jesus face to face. In all of our learning and obeying and singing and praying and listening, we'll all find its meaning in that moment. We'll see Jesus. And I don't know about you, but like in my most honest moments, when I think about seeing Jesus face to face, like his return, sometimes it can actually feel a little anticlimactic. Like, will it really be that cool? Because I, I have Instagram on my phone, and I can like see the most exotic, amazing vacation resorts on the planet, and through a really nice photo filter. And I've got the internet, and I can look up like the most galactic photos of our galaxy that make my head spin. And my TV, it isn't like huge, but I mean, it's pretty big. And when the like screensaver comes on and there's these hovering images of downtown LA at night, I mean, it's like bright, it's brilliant. With just two clicks, I can see the most beautiful waterfall on the planet and maybe even hear it if someone like posted a video of it. So sometimes when I like think about the return of Jesus, I'm like, that'd be a cool photo to post. I wonder what my Facebook friends would say about that. You know, like, can I ask you, when you think of the return of Jesus, what comes to your mind? Maybe like these uh, Bible charts of the end times and a teacher in his fancy suit. Maybe like some scenes from an old Left Behind movie comes to mind. Or maybe you think of like the skies splitting open or those rare moments, you know, when the sun like blasts through a thin portion of a cloud. Or when you think of the return of Jesus, what do you feel? Maybe you feel some fear, like is, is Jesus going to play my life on a huge movie screen for everybody to see? Maybe you honestly feel boredom. Like, who wants their own harp in their own cloud forever and ever? Maybe there's a sense of longing and desire, like a spouse who wishes for just one more embrace from their deceased beloved. City Light, this morning, we are going to be looking at the greatest, most significant event in human history that has yet to happen the return of Jesus Christ. And, and whether the thought of his return inspires like mental images of beauty or boredom, and, and whether you feel hope or fear, this morning we're gonna see what Jesus himself, his own words, what he says about his return. 
So can we just do this? Is this okay? Can we just set aside the movies that we've seen, okay? The, the scenes that are playing in our heads from those old movies. Can, can we set aside like pop culture and the talk show hosts who kind of make fun of the thought of Jesus returning? Can we even like set aside our own doubts that come with the feelings of delay with his return? And can we hear the words of Jesus? I want to give us four descriptions this morning of the return of Jesus. And as we track through Matthew 24, friends, let me encourage you. Let Jesus' words affect you, okay? Let Jesus' words have an impact on you. Jesus, in this passage, he uses vivid imagery, these, these vivid words that are meant to have an impact on us. So, I know we're in a church building, and a lot of times that makes us feel like, okay, let's put our thinking hats on or put on our religious clothes. Let's sit up nice and straight and tall, but let's even set that aside this morning and lean in with our hearts and hear the words of Jesus, okay? In Matthew 24, verse 27, Jesus likens his return to this flash of lightning that goes from one end of the horizon to the other end of the horizon. Bright, electrifying, a flash, a moment. And then in verse 29, Jesus starts like this, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Immediately, like right away, straight away, no time to waste, not a moment to spare. This happens now and it changes everything. First description of Jesus' return. Jesus' return will be sudden. Jesus' return will be sudden. And here's what I mean. There are moments in life that no matter how much you prepare for them, they still feel sudden, right? Like jumping into a cold pool or into a cold lake. You tell yourself what to expect. Like you mentally prepare yourself for what's going to happen. But then once your body hits that water, it still suddenly feels cold. Or um, have you ever had a birthday where you like know for sure they're throwing a surprise party for you, right? Because like all day long, your girlfriend or spouse or mom or whoever it is, right? They're like running around, they're texting a bunch and figuring out the last minute errands and organizing some details, but they tell you they have no plans, so like at any moment, your friends are going to jump out from behind the couch or you're going to walk into the restaurant and they're all waiting for you and they're like, surprise! Yet when it actually happens, when that moment actually comes about, you're still like, oh, sudden surprise, right? And Jesus' return will be sudden, decisive, straight away, immediate, final. And because Jesus' return will be sudden, usually people respond in one of two ways. The first way is sometimes we might like try to downplay it or ignore it. In fact, that's what Jesus says most people will do when they think about his return. You remember the old Bible story of Noah and the ark, right? Uh, Jesus brings that back to mind, and in Matthew 24, verse 38, Jesus says, for as in those days before the flood, 
They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, right? So Noah may have been like yelling at them. Noah may have been warning them, trying to get their attention and tell them what's about to happen. But they're like, what's the big deal, Noah? We ain't never seen a flood before. What are you talking about, you know? Let's just downplay and ignore it. Let's eat, drink, be merry, and get about our lives like nothing big is going to happen. And then in verse 39, Jesus says, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And so just like the flood came in and suddenly swept, Jesus appearing, the return of the Son of Man will suddenly appear. His return will be sudden and therefore we might be tempted to just like downplay it or ignore it. But there's another way to respond, a better way to respond, and that is to be awake, right? Stay awake, stay ready, stay alert. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 42, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. It's like building levees for a 50-year or 100-year flood. I mean, it could be a long time before that next flood comes, but we know it's coming, and when it comes, it will be sudden, right? And so we stay awake, we get prepared, we get ready for that moment. And as you think about the suddenness of Jesus' return, as you try to take that in, if you feel a little bit of like what you might feel before you jump into a cold pool, that's good, right? If you feel a little bit of like this mix of excited and maybe a little bit of fear and some awe sprinkled in there, that's right where Jesus wants you, okay? Don't shut that down. Don't shut that out. Instead, lean into that feeling of fear, excitement, awe. Nurture it. Feel it. Think it. Lean into it and let it shape your life. That's what Jesus is going for here. So Jesus' return will be sudden. On to a second description of Jesus' return. Jesus' return will be obvious. It will be obvious. In verse 28, Jesus says it will be obvious like vultures gather to a carcass. Okay, like when you're driving down the side of the road and you see a dead animal on the side of the road, it's obvious that it's only a matter of time before a vulture gets there. Or if you see a vulture flying around, you know there's a dead animal somewhere, right? It's just an obvious connection. But then in verse 29, Jesus like gives us a word picture, a, a description of his return that makes it even more obvious. Like maybe a small child could miss the connection between vulture and carcass. But in verse 29, Jesus describes it in a way that literally nobody could miss his return. In fact, let's do this. Would you guys mind? Close your eyes. Close your eyes. And just as I read this verse, I want you to try to imagine it, okay? Imagine this as I read it. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Can you picture that? 
Can you imagine it? Okay, go ahead and open your eyes. City Light, the return of Jesus is not a sideshow. It is not a sideshow. It is cosmic, like cataclysmic from coast to coast to coast to coast to coast, wrapping around planet Earth, reaching up into the heavens, into the orbits, touching the sun, reaching around to the moon, engulfing, swallowing up, and throwing down all the stars, the 5.89 trillion stars, and that's just our galaxy, right? It will be obvious. It will be huge, and every single star that God created and named and controlled, it will be impacted and affected by the return of Jesus. And therefore, I know that every single human that God created and named and placed his image upon, all 7.8 billion of us, we will see it. We will know, we will be impacted by the return of Jesus. You won't miss it if you're taking a nap. You won't miss it if you're on Neptune. It will be obvious. Jesus continues, and in verse 31, he describes it like this. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from every direction of the compass, north, south, west, east, from every sector, every quadrant, every slum, every city, every high-rise of the world, from one end of heaven to the other. So through the prison cells, through the cornfields, every single part of the galaxy, every last square inch of our ever-expanding, infinitely growing universe will feel the effects of the return of Jesus. It will be obvious. Every morning and every night, my six-year-old daughter says the same thing to me. She says, I love you to the moon and back, never stopping. And I say the same thing back to her. I love you to the moon and back, never stopping. It's this like word image, right? This word picture that we try to use to communicate to one another that our love is big, it's large, it's ginormous. Jesus' return will be to the moon and back, never stopping. And I know like his first coming to planet Earth, it was like sneaky and small and quiet, right? The, the baby in the manger and the boy in the temple. And he was a carpenter for 30 years before he ever went public. And even then when he went public, he told everybody to stay quiet, like, don't tell anybody that I just healed you, right? And then he dies the death of a criminal and left just to hang on a cross like a nobody, like a forgotten. I mean, Jesus' death looked like anything but power and glory. But Jesus' second coming, his return, it won't be sneaky or quiet or small. It will be obvious, ginormous, to the moon and back, never stopping, loud like a trumpet call heard around the world. You can take all the lowliness of his first coming, flip it on its head, and imagine the glory of his second coming. And if imagining the largeness, the grandeur, and the glory of his second coming feels like just too much for our brains to take in, that's where Jesus wants you. 
He's using apocalyptic language here. It's vivid and potent imagery. Jesus is not being scientific here. Like he's not asking us to calculate the speed of a falling star based on its trajectory when it enters Earth's orbit and comes under the law of gravity. No, Jesus is asking us to imagine the glory of his return to the point that our minds are blown. It's huge. It's obvious. Thanos is weak sauce compared to the return of Jesus. Right, the Terminator's a sissy compared to the return of Jesus. Imagine that. That's what Jesus is going for here. Jesus' return will be sudden. Jesus' return will be obvious. And the third description of Jesus' return. Jesus' return will be judgmental. Jesus' return will be judgmental. This part's not easy. So let's just walk through some Bible verses together, okay? Matthew 24, verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth shall mourn. Not rejoice, not celebrate, not throw a party, but mourn. Revelation 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. In some way, as tragic as it sounds, there will be people from every tribe who mourn at the return of Jesus. But then you, you got other Bible verses, verses like Titus 2, verse 13, waiting for our blessed Hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, it tells us that people from all tribes stand before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and cry out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So people from every tribe will mourn Yet apparently, other people also from every tribe will find hope in his return, find salvation in his return. So some people mourn, some people rejoice. Some people wail, some people hope. What's going on here? What's happening? I, I think Matthew chapter 25 answers it for us. Just one chapter over in your Bible, Matthew chapter 25. Look at Matthew 25, verses 31 and 32. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations, all the tribes, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And Jesus continues in Matthew 25, and he says that the Son of Man, he's going to say to his people, right, these the sheep, he's going to say, hey, welcome home. Come and inherit the kingdom that I've prepared for you. But then the hard part, he will say to 
the goats. And in your mind, don't picture the actual animals, right? These are people who have refused Christ, okay? And Jesus says to them, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And if you were to hear those words from Jesus, while at the same time seeing Jesus for who he really is, all his glory, all his power, all his authority, the only possible response will be to mourn, to well. And this aspect of the return of Jesus is called the judgment. And hear me, I, I don't like to preach this part. It isn't easy. It isn't popular. And probably like many of you, I wish we could talk about the return of Jesus kind of like Santa Claus coming to town, you know? Like, here's a present for you, here's a gift for you, here's a new bike for you, and just no gifts for the little boys and girls who didn't do their chores this year. I wish I could like butter it up and put it on a silver platter and serve it to all of us so we feel warm and cozy on the inside. But that just isn't the truth. So to preach anything less than the truth would be unfair, it would be unloving. When Jesus returns, he will judge. And Matthew 25 makes it really clear that all those who have trusted Jesus, who have put their faith in Jesus in such a way that it changes their lives, to him he'll say, oh, welcome home. Inherit, enjoy the kingdom I've prepared for you. But it's also just as clear that all those who didn't trust Jesus, who didn't put their faith in Jesus in such a way that it changed their life, they will depart into eternal fire. And in Matthew 25 and Matthew chapter 7, it's also just as clear that there's going to be a lot of religious folks who have done some stuff in their life, a lot of religious folks who have their doctrinal ducks in a row, but never knew Jesus. And he will say to them, depart. City Light, I don't want that to be any of us. I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be you. And if in this moment you, you feel some trembling right now, like a, a shaking in your heart, maybe even some fear at the thought of this moment, I think that's how Jesus would want you to respond. Lean into that fear and let it drive you into the arms of Jesus. Feel that trembling and let it guide you into the arms of Jesus. Behold Jesus now upon the cross, okay? His first coming. Behold Jesus upon the cross, suffering under the wrath of the judgment of God. And as Jesus suffers under the wrath of the judgment of God, he's showing his love for you. 
He's showing his love to you. So throw yourself upon his love. Give yourself over to his love. Say, Jesus, I must have you. Jesus, I need you. Change me. Transform me into a loving, generous person who lays down my life for the poor, the hurting, the lonely, the hungry, the homeless. Jesus, I'm throwing myself upon your love. And his perfect love will cast out that fear. There's no other way to get rid of it. His perfect love, seen on the cross, cast out that fear. So throw yourself upon his love now. Okay, Jesus' love will be sudden, obvious, judgmental, and one last description. Jesus' return will be triumphant like a victory, like a celebration, like a team who just won the championship, defeating their greatest opponent, right? And in that moment, they feel relief. It's all over. And they feel joy. This is the greatest moment ever. Jesus' return will be triumphant. Look one more time at Matthew 24, verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. What is that? Like, Jesus is referring to himself in third person here, and he gives himself a nickname, the Son of Man. And he also says that his coming is going to be like the sign of the Son of Man. Now, I think us today, we we can easily miss this, but Jesus' disciples... When Jesus said, Son of Man, oh, they knew what he was talking about. They would have had like a movie scene playing on the screen of their minds. They would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about these vivid images from an Old Testament book, the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. And there in Daniel 7, there's this incredible dream happening. These images going on. And in the dream, there are thrones, plural, and one who is like the Son of Man ascends to the throne that is next to God. And the Son of Man, he's given great glory, and he's given honor, and he's given authority, and he ascends to that throne on the clouds of heaven. Okay, so it's literally Matthew chapter 24, just way back in the Old Testament, and Daniel chapter 7. But here's what I want to catch right now. What happens right before the Son of Man? What happens right before the throne and the glory and the power and the clouds of heaven? Well, Daniel describes a series of beasts who torment the world. And these beasts, they symbolize these rulers and authorities down throughout world history who terrorize and enslave and murder and kill and destroy. These are images of like the worst rulers and the most ruthless nations of that time in Daniel, in Matthew 24 with Jesus, and then all throughout history, from the Babylonians who crushed God's people, to the Romans who crucified tens of thousands of people, including Jesus himself. And all the way down through history, the Hitlers, the Mussolinis, Genghis Khan, and countless others, these centuries of injustice and slavery, terrorism, and violence. And in Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man overcomes all of that. He triumphs over it. 
And now here we are in Matthew 24, and Jesus is talking, and he says that he is the Son of Man. And when he returns, he will triumph over all evil. When Jesus returns, he will crush all evil. No more will Jews be led away to the gas chambers. No more will children be kidnapped and enslaved. No more will babies be crushed in the womb. No, children will be precious and prized and protected. Families will be united and reunited under the glorious name of Jesus, the Son of Man. When he returns, he will triumph. Make this personal, City Light. Think about your own life. No more will addictions claim the lives of those you love so much. No more will disease or sickness rob you of years. No more will depression haunt you and bother you and steal your life. No more will Satan sneer at you and say those lies and try to hold you captive. No more will sin cling to your ankles and try to wrap you up. You will have the freedom of obedience to Jesus. You will have Satan defanged, chained up, and thrown into the lake of fire forever. No more evil when the Son of Man returns. And this is where the glorious promises of Scripture ring out and are meant to bring a response from us, right? To bring a response of praise to him. So let me just read some scriptures and you begin to respond to Jesus. From Daniel chapter seven. To him is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. From Isaiah 65, no more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. No more, city light. Or an old man who does not fill out his days. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants after them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion eat straw like the ox. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. City light, when we think of the return of Jesus, it's meant to call out a response from us. So can I invite you? I know this is a different church, but would you join me? Would you stand with me so that we can respond to Jesus? I'm gonna keep reading some scriptures, but let me encourage you, just close your eyes. These words won't even be on the screen. Close your eyes, begin to imagine the return of King Jesus, and let a song begin to rise in your heart. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Even now, let the songs rise in your heart. Think on his return. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. He's coming back, City Light. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty Come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things, Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Oh, City Light, let's sing our hearts to him.